Hello, my name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and social media. Welcome to episode 32 of Geekitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. In this episode, we're going to cover the first half of the Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore birthday event that we podcast live from uh, about two or three weeks ago. And the sound quality is decent, but you will hear some background noise here and there because we were in their back room and people had jobs to do and we we're just trying to stay out of the way. And you also hear some uh, occasional sounds from the main event, which was going on at the bookstore proper. But overall, I think it's just kind of a few, you know, little background noises here and there. The rest of the audio quality should be decent. Some of the starts and stops are going to be a little abrupt simply because I tried to cut out the introductions of me going, Hi, I'm from Geektitude every single time we started up the Periscope feed and introduced ourselves. So you will hear occasional abrupt stops, but I... I tried to make it as smooth as possible, so I hope you enjoy our interviews. There's about seven this week. There'll be another six next week, and all the information about the authors will be on our show notes so that you can get a hold of them and find out what else they're involved in. So enjoy, and I will be back at the end of the interviews to sum us up. Uh, welcome to the Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore Birthday Bash. My name's Joe Hogan. I'm the host of the Geekitude Podcast, and I'm here with author Lita Sidaris. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for being our very first guest today. My pleasure. And uh, for getting up very, very early and uh, dealing with all the little technical difficulties this morning. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself for those of our uh, viewers and listeners who, who don't know you. Where to begin? I'm a newly uh, minted author. And my book is about a newly minted lawyer, which I was once, who lands a dream job in a movie studio only to be blackmailed into investigating a suspicious death. That sounds really amazing. <laughs> sounds a lot of fun. And uh, the name of the book is? Murder and Other Unnatural Disasters. That's it's a very lighthearted mystery. That's very cool. And um, how did you decide to transition from being lawyer to author? Oh, it was long in coming. I've been wanting to have a published book for a few decades. Mm -hmm. So it finally happened. And at first I couldn't figure out what to write about. And then I remembered my former life. I no longer practice entertainment law. I work for a nonprofit now. And I just decided to take my character, uh, places that I would have liked to have gone, done things that I would have liked to have done, uh, made it a little bit crazy, mm -hmm. a few quirky characters, a few oddball situations, and I just had as much fun with it as I could. Very cool. Now, the Geektitude podcast is a geek culture podcast. Um, our our theory is that everybody has a level of geek aptitude, and that's where geektitude comes from. Mm -hmm. And so um, what would you say your geektitude is? Oh, dear. Do you want an actual number? <laughs> <laughs> no, just where where um, what are areas that you, you feel like you can insert yourself into the geek community? Oh, anything that has to do with reading or writing, I'm there. I also like, I think I mentioned to you, I love geek shows mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with the nerds in them my the love interest of my main character is actually a geek oh that's great he's a he teaches um computer science at uh, la tech college in los angeles oh, well i'm an uh english teacher in oh. in pomona so i <laughs> i always love it when we get put into books as, as fun <laughs> and interesting characters yes I, he has a lot of little quirks um but they seem to get along well and he helps her solve the the uh, mystery that's very cool 
That's very cool. Now, are there areas where you feel like your geekitude is very low that you don't? In most areas. So I have a son who's a super geek, mm-hmm. and we go to him whenever we have any technical questions or anything that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. He can handle any any geek problem whatsoever. He's, he really is a super geek. It's always <laughs> nice to have somebody like I'm that so in the family. I'm so grateful they have him in the family, yes. Um, do you have any other projects going on or anything coming up that you'd like to promote? I have like a to... second book that I'm currently working on. I, this is a series mm-hmm. uh, where my – actually, my the geek character it plays more of a prominent role. He's going to be implicated in a homicide, and he has to prove himself innocent with the help of my heroine. Oh, that's very cool. So at his campus where he teaches. Now, when you do a, a – uh, series of books like this. Do you have an idea of how far out you want to go? At this moment in time, three. Okay. Because since I'm a lawyer, I thought in the third book I'd have her get in trouble with the state bar mm-hmm. and be relegated to doing some nonprofit work, only because that's what I know right now, since that's what I do, mm-hmm. and uh, see how she handles that, going from entertainment, high profit to nonprofit. I'd like to see what, what I'd like to know what happens because I'm a pantser. I, I fly by the seat of my pants, so I never quite know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. which is what's the most fun for me because I don't even know who did it till it actually happens and I'm sometimes I'm more surprised than anyone That's which is what cool. happened with my first book I was thinking well who did this I'm just curious to see who the the culprit could be and when I unveiled it I thought wow I didn't think it was going to be that person but that so, was fun so when you sit down to write you you truly don't always know where it's going to I have, end I, I don't I definitely do not but I do have little episodes in my mind mm-hmm. that I work with and some of those episodes are based on real-life encounters that I've taken to far heights that actually never occurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, So the episodes are there. I just have to pull it all together and make it make sense and see what I want to use and what I want to discard. And that's what's the most fun because you, I don't know if you write at all, but when it flows and it flows the right way, mm-hmm. it's very exciting. That's very awesome. Um, do you have any any tips or suggestions to people who are trying to get into the uh, writing business? And yes, I do. They should go to, I don't know where they could find this type of um, tool, but they, sh- they need to find a ball and chain, preferably a very heavy one, and tie their ankle to their the chair, the desk chair, and mm-hmm. sit behind the, the computer and just write. So tempting to get up and do other things. I know because I'm very guilty of seeking out distractions while I'm writing. Mm-hmm. I get up all the time. So if you can find a, a decent ball and chain and hook yourself up, that's the best. That's the best advice I can give. I've heard a lot of uh, writers say that you know just write, yeah. just write constantly, write often, write about a multitude of things, exactly. and eventually you're going to hook yourself into something that is um, interesting and exciting. Hopefully worthwhile. Yes, yeah. that's that's what happened to me. It's, it was like I said, a long time in coming, but. Thankfully, I'm here now, and I have the privilege of talking to you, so it's been a wonderful, wonderful ride. Well, thank you. Um, We are here at the Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore, Um, so what are some of the authors that have inspired you over the years? The main author who's inspired me, especially in recent years, is Janet Ivanovich. I love her Stephanie Plum series because Mm -hmm. they're fun. They're very light. It doesn't involve too much thinking and the humor. I love humorous novels. Anything that makes me smile or laugh has got my vote. So she's been the main influence, but I've read all the traditionals as well, like Mary Higgins Clark. Uh, I like Lisa Scottolini. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I try to read a little bit of everything. Uh, I think it was Stephen King who said to read every day and write every day. So I try to read everything. I like fantasy too. Mm-hmm. So I read a lot. <laughs> 
uh, they, they do go hand in hand. We we try and get our kids to our students to write a lot or yeah. read a lot because it does transition into better writing. Absolutely, absolutely. Because you you think of things you wouldn't otherwise think if you're just spending your entire time, uh, you know, uh, writing. Mm -hmm. So yes, definitely true. So do you like being an English teacher? I love being an English teacher. Um, I, my first passion is drama, mm -hmm. so I am a, a, an English drama teacher. Oh, wow. And so that's that's a lot of what I do. But um, we just finished uh, studying The Brave New World by oh, Aldous Huxley. Okay. And um, this is the first time in a long time that I've had a class that has gotten very much into the book. And, um, you know, every day I'd get an update as to where they thought all the characters were going to go because it's one of those books that has um, no real main character. There are, you know, featured characters, yes. but it's very hard to distinguish who am I supposed to be following in this book. Right. And so they'd come in and they, you know, desk flip about how they're very disappointed <laughs> oh that this character decided to go this direction. Oh, or the, and it was just, it was very invigorating, especially this late in the year when summer's on the horizon right, right. for them to be going, you know, oh, I'm so upset that he did this or, you know, this character's a jerk. Right, and so right. it was a lot of fun. He's a beautiful word master. He really he is. Music. I'm always blown away when I read even small quotes from him. I think, you know, how did he think of that? Where did he come up with that? Mm -hmm. And one, it's, it's interesting now that we're in you know, 2016, and he wrote that in 1931, and I always challenge my students, what was he trying to warn us against, and are we heading that direction? And every year I teach the book, I feel like, oh my God, we're getting a little bit closer and closer to this brave new world. Exactly, yeah. So, yes. That sounds exciting. So you're going to be the author spotlight at 10, spotlight at 10 o'clock. From 10 to 11, yes. So that's very cool, and um, and are you going to be sticking around for cake later on this afternoon, or are you uh, heading back off? Well, we do have to leave somewhat early because we have a long drive ahead of us but I wouldn't mind sticking around for cake <laughs> well very good well thank you so much for joining us today and for being our first guest as we get all the kinks out of the system thank you and uh, and good luck with everything have, Thanks, have a lot of fun today I will thank you all right thanks I think are live and now we're recording the video and hello welcome to the mysterious galaxy bookstore birthday bash event my name is Joe Hogan I'm the host of the Geektitude podcast and I'm here with author Sharon Skinner how are you doing today I'm good it's nice to be here I'm very excited so uh you're one of the authors that's being spotlighted here today uh your author spotlights at 3.30 3.30 so that's exciting. You're right after the cake. Indeed. <laughs> I get everybody all excited and then uh, worked up and sugared up, and then we'll try and keep them entertained. Absolutely. So um, for those of our viewers and our listeners who don't know you or not familiar with your work, tell us a little bit about yourself. I've been writing for a number of years. I like to tell people that I have a BA in English, a master's in creative writing, and a poetic license in my back pocket. <laughs> I have been writing since I was in fourth grade. And always knew I wanted to be a writer when I grew up, but one day I woke up and realized I was a technical writer, and that's, you know, I got that feeling that uh, I was in a Twilight Zone episode, and I had told the genie the wrong thing, I wasn't specific enough. Oh, okay. And that's when I realized I needed to start changing that mantra to, I want to be a fiction writer when I grow up, I want to be a fiction. And so that's what I did. I set out to do that, and I write mostly middle grade and YA crossover fantasy, but I do have a picture book that uh, is pending, which I can't talk about, but <laughs> not supposed to talk about yet, but uh, in detail, but I'm really excited about that. So I mostly spend my time in the children's book market. That's very cool. But I do have adults reading a lot of my work, which is exciting. 
well, it's very neat when you can um, kind of cross that that age difference and have something that's both entertaining for the children and for their parents. So that's very cool. It is. And I think that we're seeing a lot more of that. It's not like it used to be where people went and looked and said, oh, that's a kid's book. I'm not going to read it. Mm -hmm. uh, as our audience grows up, our people who found and fell in love with middle grade books and, and YA books, they are becoming adults and they're finding that they're still in love with middle grade books and YA books. So there's a lot of that going on. I think that's partly why we got the crossover. But I also think that there are a lot of adults who thought, oh, it's a kid's book. Kids book writers don't write as deep or as broad or as, you know, important a book mm -hmm. as uh, an adult would. And that's not true. We often hit on much deeper uh, emotions and things sometimes in kids books than we do in adult books and subjects and topics that are really important to teens are still important to a lot of adults yeah definitely and so I think it speaks to us as people that we are finding that wow these are really well-written books okay so I'm gonna read them yeah that's, that's very cool it's very cool. Now, Geekitude is a geek culture podcast. Um, the word is a combination of geek and aptitude. And so our, our theory is that everybody has a, a different geeky aptitude. You cannot be uh, an expert in everything. Uh, so that's kind of what we enjoy. We enjoy sharing uh, each other's geekitude so that we can increase our own. So where do you feel like your geekitude is high? I uh, Fantasy, of course. I've uh, got a I think I get a high score on fantasy. I probably don't get as high a score on science fiction, although when I was younger I would have scored a lot higher there. Uh, and I am a designer and architect of odd costumes. Oh, nice. So I think I have a pretty high score on costuming and pre uh, repurposing materials into interesting costumes. No, very cool. Well, what do you do these, with these costumes? Is this just kind of your everyday style, or is this something you do for events? It's a, kind of a combo meal. I uh, got really involved in doing steampunk costuming at one point, and got, created a character and got kind of into that mode, and that's where the Tavara Tinker stories came from. So the Tavara Tinker books that are out that I have co-written, the serial, which is got two episodes out now, mm -hmm. are based on that character. And then I have also created costumes for the characters out of some of the other books that I have written and that other authors have written. Very cool. So usually with the, the small press, because it's been for events, but if anyone looks at the pictures in Vanilla Stones, which is my middle grade fantasy, Portal Fantasy, uh, there is actually a picture of a character in there who's a tree mage. So she is a sorceress but she's also part tree. And I actually did a fabulous costuming with a headpiece for her. And I've also steampunked all of the Wizard of Oz characters. So. That's so very <laughs> cool. It's funny because the episode previous to this one, um, I was talking to T. Morris and Pip Valentine, who are steampunk authors, because I have very little experience with steampunk, and so they were kind of introducing me to it. And so, uh, so it's so cool to hear that that's something you enjoy doing because one of the things I had mentioned, uh, the two steampunks that I have seen that I thought were just fabulous were uh, Scooby-Doo. So oh, yeah. Steampunk oh, Scooby-Doo. Fabulous, yeah. And, and The Wizard of Oz. So yeah. I think that's so, awesome. Yeah, I, was able, I got to steampunk The uh, Wicked Witch uh, of the West. The West, right? Mm. And uh, 
her broom lit up and all sorts cool. of fabulous things. And I made a really cool headpiece for her too. I think my kind of my one of the things I do extremely well is headpieces. Well, that's you know, neat. Instead of wigs, I do headpieces that are very much based on the character and uh, form-fitted to the models. So, now, is that because that's kind of where your skill lies, or is that where your interest lies, or is it the combination of it's the It's kind of a combo thing. It's, uh, I just really like working with those kinds of materials. It's very neat. Yeah. Um, now, the other question is, is where do you feel like your geekitude is low? Is there an area that you don't – you step out of the conversation when people start talking about it? I love me some superheroes, but I am not versed in the in that, I, you know, the background. When I was a kiddo, okay, when I was a kiddo, back when comics were, I think, uh, 12 cents. <laughs> yeah, a little while ago, I was reading some of the superhero stuff, and then I completely got away from it. And so there's this whole bulk of superhero stuff that took place that I have no clue about. I do love me some superhero superhero movies, and I am reading Bombshells because Bombshells rock. Yes. It's uh, really cool. And I'm an Invader Zim kind of. Oh, I, love I like cult Invader things. Zim. So yes. I like um, The Tick, Invader Zim, some of the really off-kilter things. Uh, Lenore, big, big Lenore fan. Oh, I forgot about Lenore, yeah. So uh, so I have niches in the comics and the, those kinds of things that I like, but I'm not, um, I don't know. And gaming, tabletop gaming. No clue. No, <laughs> not a clue. Um, it's funny because you mentioned that you you started. You know, your your younger self would have would have said you had high uh, sci-fi uh, geekitude and and that you have areas. It's 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 a skill. <laughs> if you don't use it, you lose exactly. it. Exactly, it's like a language. It yeah, really you, is. you really have to keep up with it. Yeah, it really is. And every year, there's more and more stuff that you can consume, and so it's it's just impossible. It becomes to huge. Do it yeah, I go to Phoenix Comic Con and I go and I look around at the cosplay and I have no clue what half the people are supposed to be, mm -hmm. but they're cool. You know. It's yeah. Like, oh, that's really cool. No clue what that is, especially if it's manga. Oh, I have no <laughs> geekitude in manga whatsoever. Uh, Howl's Moving Castle is about as close as I get, and mm -hmm. um, love that. And in fact, we did a um, we did a an event in Casa Grande, Arizona, at one point where I got to choose the movie, and mm -hmm. we did a book event, book and movie event, and then we got to um, chat on screen about the movie. Oh, it was fun. so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. One of uh, one of my colleagues actually teaches uh, an elective on. Um, on manga and on anime and so she's she's kind of tasked me with this summer my goal is to pick up some some different anime movies and and manga books and and start getting into that because that is an area where i have no like it's not low it's just it's yeah, non-existent right. yeah. <laughs> I, I know there's manga out there yes it exists yes I, I purchased I purchased one for a student who I was trying to motivate to read. I'm like, I'll give this to you if you read what we're supposed to be reading in class right now. Right. But that's the extent of it. Yeah. Well, very cool. Um, what projects do you have coming up? Promote promote what's what's coming up. Uh, well, okay. So I'm I'm going to be all over the map this year. I'll be at the um, San Francisco Comic Con uh, later this year. I will be in uh, in San Antonio for. Can't think of the name of it, but it's a Comic Con. I'm bad. I'm bad. It's early in the morning. It's okay. <laughs> um, so uh, I'll be um, 
next at the end of this month in Mesa, we're having a writers conference that I will be at that I will be presenting at mm -hmm. called Cirque de Leave. And so that'll be interesting. It'll be the first time that that's done. And uh, I'm working on the next, the third book in the Healers cycle. So the final book in that trilogy is on my desk, as well as the sequel to the Nellick Stones, because I've had a lot of people asking for that. So I've been kind of pushing in that direction. When you get 10 and 11 year old boys who love a book mm -hmm. and you get parents who are saying do you have anything else you'd like because he hasn't been reading until your book mm -hmm. you kind of feel like I better get that book out too yeah, yeah so which is a, not a bad problem to have no definitely it's, it's, it's got to be good to feel that you're you're inspiring readers yeah. that's got to be pretty cool um how does it feel like when when you get to this third book and is it the final book in the series? It will be the final book in that series and that cycle. And how do you feel? How do you feel once you close out a series like that? Is it uh, is it bittersweet or is it like oh, I'm just gonna keep it open and you never know what'll happen in the future? I'll have to let you know because it'll be the first series I've closed out. It'll, I mean the the challenge that I faced getting the second book out and it took longer than it should have for a number of reasons and one of those reasons was I felt a little paralyzed because people loved the first book so much that I had a fear that if I didn't deliver something as good or better that I would disappoint people mm -hmm. so I struggled a little bit with that until I remembered that my purpose was to write the book that was in my heart and once I did that people have come to it and graciously fallen in love with the second book so uh, the second book has turned into more of a second act book, though, which was a surprise to me because, again, I've never written a full trilogy. Mm -hmm. And so I have some big plans for that third book. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So are you going into this one a little bit more confident? And <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. At the moment. But that's a roller coaster, too. I bet. That's, I the, bet. that's the, oh, I can do this. Oh, no, I can't. Oh, I can do this. No, I can't. That I think <laughs> most of the people I know who write uh, have issues with. So bit of a roller coaster. Well, very cool. Um, do you have any advice to uh, aspiring writers out there that are, are looking to get into, uh, you know, they want to be an author and they just don't quite know how to do it? Well, the first thing I'm going to tell you is I'm going to quote Jane Yolen. She says, there are three things you have to do. Number one, write the book. Number two, write the book. And number three, write the book. So, and she's absolutely right. Until you write the book, you don't even know what you have. Mm -hmm. uh, also, get your make sure that once you're done, yeah, I know it's really exciting, and you're like, oh, I wrote this book, it's fabulous. It's probably not. <laughs> um, trust me, from it, this is the voice of experience. Uh, it's probably not as fabulous as you think. It needs work. Mm -hmm. Still, will need work. That's why we revise and revision, as Darcy Patterson would say, revision our work, uh, which means looking at the story to see if it's telling the story we intended it to, and maybe that's not the story we needed to tell. Mm -hmm. And then revising it and making the language as strong as, as possible. I don't know Lainey Taylor. This is not, I'm not getting paid to say this. I just finished Her Daughter of Smoke and Bone. Beautifully written. Uh, the metaphor that she uses throughout is superb. And it's that kind of writing that is going to draw fans in and make them love you. And the storytelling is good, too. Mm -hmm. And storytelling is always important. But hone your craft, hone your craft, hone your craft. Yeah, that's like like geekitude, it's a skill. Yeah. And it needs to be polished and honed and, and trained and 
nourished. And I think that's going to be the um, the through line from a lot of our authors today is you know sit down and write and just write and write and write. Um, do you have do you have favorite authors? Do you have favorite uh, like comfort books that you always cling to? I I don't have necessarily comfort books anymore. I have favorite authors who I'm reading now. I have authors who I use as mentor texts. Uh, right now, I'm going through, I'm a very eclectic reader, so I might be reading The Birth of Forensic Science one day, and then uh, some kiddo fantasy the next, and I'm reading a lot of picture books because I'm also mm-hmm. working on picture books. Um, I would say uh, read A Crayon Story if you're looking for a, a fabulous, fabulous picture book. It's just like very few words and a hugely um, emotional story. Uh, Cheryl and Kenyon's uh, Nick books. I, don't, I haven't read any of the adult ones, just the YA ones. Mm-hmm. Fabulous stuff. Uh, Patricia Briggs. I really am a big fan of Patricia Briggs. Uh, and, um, you know, and too many others probably for me to sit here and mention all of them. Of course, you know, my buddy Jeannie Koch is out mm-hmm. there and she's churning out some fabulous uh, sci fi romance, which is not your standard fare. So no, not at that. all. And I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of the authors today because I don't know them or their work yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm always looking for new authors. I tell you what, I come to a bookstore like this and I, I end up buying just as many books as anybody else is walking out the door. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it's You've got to love bookstores. There, there's, there is something that is still very magical about them and, uh, you know, that you're not going to get from a Kindle, no. <laughs> Kindle purchase. No, it's true. So I would say also if you're looking for contemporary YA, Ellen Hopkins is amazing. She writes novel in verse. Mm-hmm. Very, very difficult subjects. The topics are not easy, but she does an amazing job with it. And uh, gosh, I could just, you know, I should make a list and put it on my website. That maybe should, maybe should be one of my next blogs. I do blog at my website, www.sharonskinner.com, and I blog about the process of writing, I the craft of writing, the business of writing, author appearances, all of those things, uh, and also about my time in the military, where I was one of the first mm-hmm. women to go to sea. So you kind of, kind of a blog that's just all about me. Where can everybody find you other than your website? Um, well, my appearance schedule is on my website. Uh, you can also find me on BrickCaveBooks.com. You can find you can find me kind of all over the place. I'm also the assistant. Uh, I'm now the regional advisor for the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators in Arizona. So uh, those types of events, I'll be at those. I will be at the LA conference for uh, SCBWI this year. It's going to be a fabulous conference. It is every year. <laughs> and so I'm kind of all over the place. And I did I hear you mention that you're going to be at Phoenix Comic Con as well? I will be at Phoenix Comic Con. I will be there. Hopefully we'll bump into each oh, other. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Now, are you from Phoenix? Is that I'm you? from Mesa, so right next door. Okay. Very much, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for, for having me. me. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is fun. Gentlemen, go ahead and introduce yourselves. I'm Benny Zalkowitz. I'm Cam Beatty. And your book series that you're promoting right now is the Book of Ore series, is that the correct? Books of Ore, yeah. The, the first one's called The Founder's Edge, and the second one is called Waybound, and the third one is Due Out Next Spring. Very cool. Um, for those listeners and, and viewers who are not aware of you guys, go ahead and tell them a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and the other stuff you've done. Sure. sure. Yeah, Benny and I met at CalArts. Uh, we're both animation specialists, I guess. We yeah. uh, studied experimental animation, which is very special. 
And we, we specialize in stop motion. So we've been, we met actually in the back row of an experimental film history class, which was an insanely boring class. And we just found we disagreed on everything, which we figured was a perfect basis for a partnership. Um, and it and has continued to this day. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we still disagree on everything but that. No, we don't. Um, and we've, uh, yeah, so we've been working professionally as stop motion animators. And that kind of inspired the whole series because we were thinking about, uh, you know, how would that microphone or that computer or that car move if it was alive and what kind of personality and life would it have? And that kind of skewed our whole view of the world. And why is it inanimate now? So right. if it did once exist, why is it now just an object? So that kind of sparked the whole idea of this world of living metal and organic machines that has been poached to make the sort of miraculous prod products of uh, an art deco metropolis of the future. And it's sort of a conspiracy that this world holds that these two kids find themselves uncovering and revealing to the world. That's very, very cool. That's very cool. Um, and do you, do the latest book is coming out or has just come the out? The second one came out in April. Yeah. Um, and we are uh, currently editing book three, um, which is due out next spring. Very so, cool. Yeah. Um, so stop motion animation that is uh that is archaic a, no i think it's fascinating <laughs> it it's, is that it is it's that. so it's so fun and well i i assume from watching you know documentaries and everything yeah. is fun i i can imagine that at some times it's frustrating it's i think it's, you but, only do it though if you really love it yeah it's one of those things that is so grueling and so difficult to do that you really have to have a passion for it to to bother and i, I think that there's when you get it right, mm -hmm. and there's there's a, a point where there's this kind of ineffable thing that happens where it's not just moving, but it it's actually yeah. seems to be alive. And when you know, and that's what we're always striving for, and you don't always hit, but when you do, you kind of step back. There's it kind of becomes separate than you, and it's taken on a life yeah. of its own, and actually seems to have. And you get that sort of know. Frankenstein feeling where I have brought this to life with yeah. my bare hands. That's yeah. so awesome. Yeah. It's very cool. So I think we're always kind of hunting for that feeling and always in pursuit of it, even if we don't always achieve it. And kind of like Benny said, it, it's that feeling of like there's a life in objects that, that got us started on this book series where, I mean, it's organic machines and living metal and things that you, an entire biology, an entire uh, ecosystem really that's kind of beyond our grasp that mm -hmm. these two yeah. kids kind of discover and start to see uh, all the creatures that are the things that they enjoyed as luxuries and innovations and medicine and, and travel transportation. Uh, and, and that's kind of what turns them into advocates advocates and basically saviors of mech, which is the, the world of living metal. Right. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Now, the Geektitude podcast is, well, Geektitude is a combination of geek and aptitude. And the idea is is that everybody has a different level of geekitude in different areas, and we can't possibly be high in everything. Sure. Uh, so where I'd say we measure pretty high on both, <laughs> <laughs> at least the geek side. Yeah. So where where would you say what areas would you say your geekitude is very high? Would you like to go first? <laughs> I guess I'd have to think about where we're low because I feel like we're pretty geeky in in most aspects. I mean, definitely. Um, you know, movies and cinema and animation certainly factor in a lot into, at least into our books. Uh, Miyazaki was a huge inspiration just in terms of um, uh, uh, having messages of sustainability and stuff without being really uh, uh, didactic and mm -hmm. annoying, kind of doing it poetically. And I think he also has a, a knack for taking really complex issues and not boiling it down to a simplistic good guy versus right. bad guy dynamic where everybody really has 
um, a valid point of view, right. and somebody might be you know morally questionable, or whatever. But but you get kind of immersed because it's it's just much richer and much more complicated. And also, just as most animation people know, like villains are always the most exciting mm-hmm. because right. they're the animators are the most excited about them. They right. they move in a way that is unique and special, and you just you feel so much more about what who a villain is and what they want to do in animation. Um, so I think that definitely informed how we built our villains. We wanted to make sure that they weren't just mustache twiddlers and that they had a real right. reason for doing what they did. And that from their point of view, their actions are valid and justified. Right. I'm also definitely a geek when it comes to, I mean, a subset of movies, but silent movies and old movies. His um, geekitude is like 98. I'm yeah. probably 60 to 70 I'm, when it I'm comes very, to silent movies. Yeah, exactly. Very Still there, but about silent nice. movies. Yeah. And so the um, actually the world where our heroes start out in, uh, we... There's, there's, there are definitely elements of steampunk in this, but we wanted mm-hmm. to stay away from the classic kind of Victorian steampunk with the the yeah. tall hats and the um, you know the, there's the brick no streets. And there's no exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's not Victorian. So we aimed more for a Art Deco feel, which yeah, I think also cool. came out very much from um, you know Metropolis, both, exactly from yeah. our shared interest in, in that era. So um, uh, yeah, so silent movies definitely. Yeah. Um, what else are we geeks about? Fantasy. Fantasy, for sure. Sci-fi, some, but mm-hmm. not not too much. I mean, I, we're both huge fans of sci-fi, and um, we're just not super literate in right. sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe 60, 70 on the, the sci-fi geek scale. And I think that we've started that, you know, obviously we both read a lot, and we both really enjoyed reading, but we kind of unexpectedly came into this avenue as novelists, because we were really filmmakers and TV makers and, and animators. So once, the, um, once we found that we were actually writing books, we've now started immersing ourselves much more to a lot of things we probably should have read ages ago, sure. mm-hmm. but yeah. that we're now, you know, kind Back of just, yeah, just absorbing as fast as we can a lot of the great... But now that stuff. we find ourselves to be authors, we actually enjoy it a lot, mm-hmm. because what's, what's beautiful about books compared to movies and TV uh, is that you're really the, the commander. You, you yeah. are the producer and the creator all at the same time. You can say no to notes, you can say, no, I'm actually not going to address that, and I know right. this world better than you do, mm-hmm. and I feel very strongly that this is the way to proceed. And, and Whereas TV, you can't. No. And, <laughs> and, and also, um, whatever choice you make, it doesn't affect a budget. Like You can yeah. say, ten people walked in. No, no, a thousand people walked in. There's and no word budget. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's, that, it, you don't think about that, but it's absolutely true. Yeah. You have a lot more flexibility in Definitely. a novel. Well, and I think that we, we didn't even realize how much we were biting off when we started this, but you know, we came in very ambitious, like, okay, we've never written a book like this before. But let's, how hard can it be? Well, and, and let's create a <laughs> fantasy world that's really, that's not based off the, you know, the, the, the Tolkien archetype where you're, you're dealing with sort of, okay, Middle Ages, um, some version of Earth with these particular kinds some of creatures. Some version of magic. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. We, we decided we really wanted to, we're going to start from scratch, we're going to build an entire world from scratch the way you do in animation, where you decide the color of the sky, how gravity affects the creatures. And uh, it sounded like a great idea at first, and I think partway through the first book, we were like, oh my god. Why what, did we break every mold? What, why did we try <laughs> what did we think we were doing? It would be we really be nice to be able to fall back on exactly. something right yeah. now. There was a tree there, and everyone was like, oh, I know what a tree is. Yeah. But, you have uh, to question everything. Essentially, when, you're, when, you, when you eliminate all things that you consider natural, what is natural is now up to you. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think that's the kind of thing that, that we can do in writing that we would never be able to do in, in any sort of... Uh, other media way. Exactly, yeah. where there's actually a cost to every one of those decisions. Right. Now, is there any areas where you feel your geekitude is low? You kind of step out of the conversation when it comes up? Anime? Yeah. Um, I'm not super proficient in anime. 
Yeah, and uh, we're not Star Wars geeks as much. No. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I mean, I think I enjoy the movies, but having worked on Robot Chicken especially, where we worked with people who are so deeply immersed in that world, like, I can't keep up with that. Well, so having worked on Star Wars specials with Robot Chicken. Yeah, I was going to say. (laughs) And having been to, to Skywalker Ranch and just spending time in that world, like... Like, I had no idea that person had a name, that person who appears for three frames right. at the end of mm-hmm, movie two mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but I would say that the uh, the best part of the entire experience with that was being in Lucas's library. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's an amazing place. It is a fantastic place. Yeah. He has, like, the original Keystone Cops badges, and, I mean, it's it's a museum of film history. It's yeah. Fantastic. It's, and it's a, just a beautiful space. There's yeah. this uh, dome that's all stained glass, and... That's pretty great. Yeah. That's very cool. Better than the movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, very nice. Well, um, what what do you have coming up? What's other? You have a book coming out next spring. Yep. Uh-huh. But um, any other projects you're working on? Anything else that's that's up yeah? In the we're air? we're um, we have an idea for another um, another fantasy book, uh, probably a standalone that's um, also aimed at kind of the same age group that we're we're. It's an idea that was actually one of the very first things we ever worked on that we, we put aside because it wasn't quite coming together. And now that we have all this experience writing and stuff, we're excited to kind of reapproach it again. And we've just started talking about it over the last few weeks, and it's very quickly kind of gelling and coming together. So I uh, don't want to say too much about that sure. yet. But, yeah. um, Still, it's an infant stage. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of the biggest thing on the horizon right yeah. now. So. Yeah. Now, we're going to be talking to a lot of authors throughout the day, but you're actually the, the only – author team that we're talking about. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the process of, of writing with a partner. It's the oh. worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to get out of it for ages, yeah. and um, unfortunately he has my kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, i tell you the truth. At this point, we've both kind of learned to do this together, so yeah. we've, we've evolved a lot of different processes that have actually been different from book one to book two. Um, and I think that what we do is we sit down together and we work out a very detailed plot breakdown. We often go away for a week on like a, a retreat away from the families. And we uh, we break down very detailed chapter by chapter what's happening with each character, what's happening in the overall arc. And um, so we have, you know, like a 30-page chapter breakdown. Yeah. Um, and then we split it up and one of us will work on chapter one, one of us will work on chapter two. And we keep Skype open in the background so we're constantly talking back and forth while we work. Um, and then once those chapters are done, we trade, we read them, we talk about it, say, I like that idea, I hadn't considered that, that's completely wrong. Uh, and then we revise, and then we'll trade back and forth. And I think on the first book, we went, we would go back and forth till we were both 100% happy with every chapter. And then, of course, when we sent it off to the editor and we got notes, we had to rewrite everything anyway. So right. we accelerated the process on the second book by, by kind of trying to get the big things and then working out the smaller details on the second pass as we were doing the revisions. Yeah. We have two, we now have two active metaphors that we use in terms of what collaboration is. The first is building a boat together in which we're basically at opposite sides of the same boat working at the same time. The other one goes back to the other person's side and starts hitting it with a hammer. If it holds up, keep going. It's the right way to build the boat. Gotcha. The poles appear and water comes in. And, and we do smack it again. the other person's side as hard as we can. Right. But that's the only way to test it. Right. The second metaphor is that of a digestive system. So food goes in, lots of different kinds of food. It goes into the same system. The track kind of boils it down, and then you have a solid product at the end. <laughs> right. 
I'm not as much of a fan of that metaphor <laughs> because it's more true. Yeah, but also because of what it says we are producing at the end. <laughs> Everyone has one. Right. You know? um, if that is uh, true, if that is true, I am the upper part of the dinosaur. <laughs> that's, that's what the upper part would say. Uh, but we, I mean, we actually disagreed about a single period in book one for 20 minutes. Yeah. So um, an epic argument. Yeah, which which. You know, to be fair, we acknowledge it was a really stupid argument to Also, have. to be fair, I won. <laughs> now, and when you say single period, you're talking about the punctuation. Oh, yes, yes. Wow. There is a punctuation mark that is in the book. Yes. Um, but I think we've gotten better about picking our battles yes. and knowing, like, okay, that's not worth me digging my heels in. So. Right. Well, very cool. Very cool. Um, I, I would love to, to talk to you guys for a lot more, but you're going to your spotlight in, like, sure. five minutes, so I want to give you a chance to kind of... Focus on that. Okay. Um, just one last thing. Where can people find you? Where can people get in touch with you? Um, social media, that kind of thing. Sure. Okay. Um, our, uh, the, the series website is booksofore.com. Um, you can find out more about the animation work and the other stuff we do at camandbenny.com, C-A-M-A-N-D-B-E-N-N-Y.com. And on Twitter, we're at camandbenny. Um, that's about it that's about it yeah Very that's cool. where we can be found yeah. well thank you gentlemen I really appreciate getting a chance to talk with you and thank you very uh, much. We'll, we'll maybe try and set up something in the future because and, sure. and, you sound like you have a lot of, of things that you can speak <laughs> on and we just, all this, of you're our therapist like, yeah. like we're working it all out right now that's right yeah. Very cool. today we're talking to uh, Toby Easton who is one of the wonderful authors here who's going to be doing an author spotlight and uh, talking about her book so, um, Toby, tell us about our, yourself. Tell us, our listeners and our, our viewers, you know, who you are and, and what you're here today to promote. I'm a debut author. Uh, my first book, Emerge, which is book one in the Murr Chronicle series, just came out uh, two weeks ago or so, April 19th. Um, so it's still all very new and shiny for me, um, and events like this are very exciting. Um, I hope that never goes away. I hope that never wears off. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that it won't. Um, but yeah, my book is about a community of uh, mer people who live in hiding on land, um, basically because the Little Mermaid uh, activated a curse 200 years ago from the original Hans Christian Andersen version, um, and she activated a curse in the ocean, and so now um, some mer people are uh, kind of retreating um, from the ocean to live a safer life, kind of as refugees, if refugees lived in fabulous Malibu estates um, on land. Very cool. Um, have you always been fascinated by uh, mermaids? Yeah, and I, it's funny because, you know, once you have a book coming out, you're doing a lot of interviews and things like that, and I was kind of tracing it back and trying to find, you know, that one moment where I really became fascinated with mermaids, and I, I couldn't. I just, for as long as I can remember, um, you know, my mom would get me those like, beautifully illustrated kind of gothic-y old fairy tale books, um, and I would always be, if there was like any mermaid anywhere in the book for like a second, you know, like a blip in Peter Pan or a blip in, um, there was like a Rapunzel version where, or no, a Sleeping Beauty version where the prince had to go through like trials for mm -hmm. one of them and there were mermaids and I, that was like my favorite page and I would go back to it, back to I don't know why. Um, but yeah, so I was always just really fascinated with them um, and it was one of those things that, you know, pop up, would pop up. So for years, you know, you kind of divert to something else and then you're sitting in an art history class and all of a sudden you're looking at paintings of mermaids and it's kind of back. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like that's kind of how it was. It, you know, retreated for a while, and then I had the idea for this book, and it just wouldn't leave me alone. And I was at the, very much at the point where I was like, I can't write a book. Um, <laughs> but that idea just didn't go away. Well, that's very cool. Uh, now, you said this is the first in, in the Chronicles. Mm -hmm. So um, 
where where do you see this going forward? Is it, is it going to be a trilogy? Are you hoping to just a regular ongoing series? So um, for now, it's definitely two books. Uh, Submerged is contracted and coming into June 1st. I'm so close, I'm so close. <laughs> um, but uh, we've got... Um, We've got definitely submerged, and then I've I've planned a third book. I can't say that much about it yet because uh, things like on the publishing end are um, you know not finalized. I, I have a title. I can't share it yet. I wish I could. Um, but yeah, I've I've definitely always seen it as a trilogy. Um, I love so many of the characters, um, and I, I've been getting some letters kind of from fans about uh, certain characters and wanting their points of views on things and, and stuff like that. So I'm not saying I don't have that kind of in the back of my head, marinating a little bit. But um, for now, a, a trilogy is what I've kind of got planned. Very cool. And how um, how has it been? How's the experience been being a first time author? And and because you're, it's two weeks, and so this is two weeks that people have had your, your <laughs> yeah. material and are getting to to read it. How has that been for you? Yeah, it's it's new, and I mean, you get it in stages, which is nice. So first, you know, the reviewers get it, and that's terrifying kind of on its own because I was always like, I'm not scared for readers to get it. I'm really excited for readers to get it, but I was a little concerned about. Uh, you know, like literary critics getting mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. um, especially because, it, you know, it's a book about mermaids, it's a romance, it's, you know, it's light and it's sparkly and, you know, nobody is dying, nobody's at war, unless you're thinking about like a war under the ocean, which is its own different thing. So um, I was a little bit, you know, first time author, what are people, you know, going to say? And then I just realized after having read those reviews and hearing from people that reviewers are readers. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel so much better because they were, they're just like the most hardcore readers and like the biggest book lovers. Um, and usually in the genres that they choose to review, I mean, not always, but most people choose to review genres that they love. Right. So it was actually much nicer of a welcome than, than I was expecting and kind of bracing myself for. That's very cool. And... Um, for for people who are just getting into uh, writing, do you have any advice for them? You know, where where your journey, uh, you think you you learned things that you wish somebody was there to say, hey, you know, do this. Yeah. Um, well, I think the first thing that I can add that's maybe a little bit unique is that it can happen with a first book. Um, I, I know that it, that's not normally the case, and, and I feel really, really fortunate. But if you are, you know, querying that first novel and it is the first one you've ever written, as long as you've really taken the time to edit and revise and work with critique partners and you know it's kind of the best that you can make it at this point, then I think, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to go forward because I think we all hear about, you know, most authors have six books under the bed and, you know, a couple in a drawer and usually that's, um, you know, that's wonderful, wonderful learning experience and um, I'm sure it could have gone that way for me too and a huge chunk of it is luck, but that can happen so I don't want people to be too deterred from, you know, if it is your first book, from going out and doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I'll also say that it's just a really wonderful community, and I feel like m way more so than I was expecting, because so much of it you do on your own, and you're just sitting and you're writing for kind of hours on end, and then you're editing for hours on end. But if you, you know, you get on Twitter, and you get on social media, and you find out about author groups, and you go to events like this that are, you know, at bookstores in the community, and you can hear advice from authors, and you can kind of get to know people, and you can specifically ask people questions, everyone is so nice and so helpful. Um, and that's especially true, I write YA, and I think that's especially true in the kid-lit community. Mm -hmm. um, but just everyone in general has been really welcoming, and I met so many authors uh, before I was published, before I had an agent, before anything, just through like Twitter pitch contests and things like that, and got so much support that um, I really needed and was so helpful. So, so you would recommend definitely diving into the community. Yeah, exactly. And, and I do think um, Twitter is the way to go for the lit community. It seems like there's just that's where a lot of it happens for kid lit, especially. Um, there's a great contest, if anybody's interested, called Pitch Wars. 
I'm going to be a mentor this coming year, which is exciting because that's my book started in Pitch Wars, where a mentor picked my book. So I'm really excited to see who submits to me. Um, and it's a contest where published authors um, work with um, aspiring writers who have their manuscripts, and they work on getting their pitch ready for agents. And at the end of the contest, there's an agent round. Oh, very cool. Um, and I didn't find my agent at that round, but that's what gave me the confidence to start submitting to agents, and that's how I eventually found mine. Um, that's such a great, that's such a great resource, such it a really great experience is. for people. Yeah, Pitch Wars is fantastic, and there's a bunch of other ones. There's Pit Mad, which is run by the same amazing author, Brenda Drake, who runs all of that. Um, and basically what's so great about it, too, is whether or not you get in the contest. I mean, it's great if you do, obviously, but there's several months leading up to it. And so you can get with a group of other contestants, you know, who want to get in that contest, and you can switch query letters and first chapters and give each other feedback. And I mean, some of it's not going to be that helpful, but some of it will be extremely helpful. Um, I did that with a group of authors before any of us were in the contest. Some of us got in and some of us didn't, uh, and a lot of that's the luck of the draw. Um, and... Well, quite a few of us now, both those who got in and those who did not, have our books coming out this year and are now in like the same debut group of authors. Um, so it's, it's really a cool experience. And it's, those are the first, I think, relationships that I built. Because once you have an agent, it gets easier. And once you have a publishing deal, it gets very easy to meet other authors and mm -hmm. get to know people. But until then, you can feel a little bit lost, a little bit hesitant to go up to people. Um, and so I feel like events like the one I'm at today at a bookstore where you go and there's other writers in the audience and they're hearing from authors and you can ask questions, you can get books signed, and you can go up and talk afterwards, and you can have cookies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, cookies make <laughs> everything easier. <laughs> um, or things like Twitter pitch contests. That's really nice for people. That's very cool. Um, it's it's nice to know that, that there is a, a good community out there because I think so often it's a little bit of that imposter uh, syndrome where you feel like, oh, I'm not a writer yet or I'm not, you know, I, I don't belong in this world. And, and so to, to have people to kind of bring you in and make you feel like you're comfortable, it's a very important thing to have. And I think it is, even though everybody kind of comes at it a little bit of a different way, it is a very universal experience mm -hmm. to, you know, have to, whether you eventually decide to go a different route, um, if you've had to query, or even just getting through a manuscript and editing that manuscript is kind of a very universal process that joy, people join together. And so you have to realize that, you know, that author that you're so scared to meet, like, they were there, they understand, and, like, it might, for, for some of them it might have only been a few months ago. Um, and yeah. they're totally happy to talk to you. <laughs> so. It's so true. Um, Geek to Dude is a geek culture podcast, and so I, I always ask my, my guests where their, their geek to Dude lies. Where do you feel like you, you fall into the geek community? Which geek to Dude Buffy. It's all Buffy all the way. <laughs> um, I mean, other things, too, like basically a lot of Joss Whedon stuff, but, but Buffy, really. Um, and then, I mean, that's like the, the primary thing. And then, I mean, um, Harry Potter... To a huge, huge personal degree, although I'm sure that there are people who can answer questions better than I can and can point specific things on specific pages much better than I can. Um, try it with Buffy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm on a personal level definitely Harry Potter. Um, I think though that for me, Harry Potter, maybe because of when it hit, mm -hmm. was much more me reading it and like geeking out with my friends about it. As opposed to online, I didn't really find like the online Harry Potter community until way later. Whereas um, Buffy was 
like Buffy hit right when I was like a teenager and online and or my I mean I I caught up with Buffy kind of late I don't think I actually started getting obsessed with it until it was in its final season so I managed to watch those final episodes on air uh, because I caught up really fast um, <laughs> but, which is quite a feat because it's a it's a long series yeah and uh, luckily there were a couple girls in my high school who were super into it and they would summarize and like it'd be like you have to watch this and I have all of these on VHS to record oh my God, yes. because oh my the DVDs God, yes. of the season are not out yet <laughs> um, and so they would lend me things and I would be very careful um, and then it, I think it was in rerun on FX for a long time yes, and that, that yes, saved yes. my life uh, I had to rush home to get home from school on time and I, I drive my dad crazy in the car we drive faster <laughs> um but yeah, so definitely Buffy, and then Harry Potter, but to a more kind of personal, less community extent, until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I'm really, really, really excited, because I'm a guest author at LaViosacon um, cool. uh, in Las Vegas this summer, which is July, which is soon. Um, so I'm very, very happy. So um, yeah, so I get to like, uh, it's all authors whose works were really influenced by Harry Potter, and whose lives have been really influenced by Harry Potter, or and fan fiction, um, and just that whole... Um, community and experience, and if our writing we feel like uh, wouldn't be where it is without that experience. Um, and so, yeah, when I was asked to, to be a guest author, there, I was really, really happy. That's very cool. Um, my, we have a, a, a group of friends uh, that are huge Buffy fans, <laughs> and my husband has never watched the show. And so the three of us are like, you cannot, we, we are not good friends if we have not introduced you to this. Yeah. So like maybe once a month or so we get together and force oh, him so to watch jealous. two or three I'm episodes. So and it's fun to experience, you know, you sit in there and you watch her use a payphone or, you know, <laughs> yeah, the whole... Yeah, the boots, ep- man, the, the boots. Whole episodes about how dangerous the internet is. <laughs> and, and it's like, oh my God, this is so 90s. I know, no, it is. It's beautifully 90s and the special effects. And that's, I think, I, I have a hard time because I, you know, I talk to a lot of teens because I write teen books. Um, and I really, you know, it's like you want to make them all watch it, but you have to let them know, like, give it a couple seasons of, like, yes. the special effects until season four or five are just nowhere even recognizable to, like, what they're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to kind of give the brief disclaimer, and I feel kind of bad doing it, but you've got it. They got to They got to push. They got to watch the whole thing. We had that whole, we had that whole conversation when we sat down, my friend Jeff and I, and we're like, all right, how are we going to get Matt into this? And we said, you know, we, we can't skip the first season. The first season's rough to get through because yeah. it's like Monster of the Week. Yeah. But you... You gotta uh, have it, though. Yeah, you gotta have it. So it, it, many it, characters. episode, and you gotta have them. So much gets introduced there. So, yeah, yeah definitely. Love Buffy. No, I know. I think what I did, because I did the exact same thing with my now husband when he was my boyfriend in college, uh, and we watched the whole thing. And uh, I, I don't know how, if he was as cooperative as his <laughs> husband. But, um, but he was, and eventually he, he got really into it. But I said, I think what I told people is get through... Uh, surprise where mm-hmm. Angel turns and if you don't care enough to keep watching uh, then 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 I hate you but fine yeah um, you know so you have to get to there and if you make it to there and you don't want to keep going then I don't know what's wrong with you um, but then I'll, I'll maybe let it go yeah. I don't know how much I meant that um, saying it but it's, it's a good you can you can at least give that line because that's part way through season two so nobody you know that seems doable to people yeah it, it, it's at least a an end point where you can see if you're gonna yeah, turn know. back <laughs> um where do you feel like your geekitude is low where do you kind of step out of the conversation gaming i don't know anything anything i mean i'll watch over people's shoulder and be like oh the world is pretty and like mm. i want to see all the details um people get mad at me when they're gaming because i want to explore the world itself um and i don't know if that's maybe like a writer world building thing or if that's like a reader loving fantasy stuff, but um, 
Yeah, GTA, I just wanted to go and explore all the different versions of L.A. Mm -hmm. and, like, see all the clothing stores and see all the, um, you know, like, go up in the canyon and, like, run through people's backyards and see what would happen. But I didn't want to actually do anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think I've heard that a lot more gaming, and again, I know nothing, but I've heard that a lot more gaming, especially with VR, is getting much more kind of experiential. Yes. And, like, what is it? Is it sandbox? Is that what you call it? Yes. See, look, I'm not, I'm not as terrible as I thought. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and so I think that stuff would be something I could really enjoy. Yeah. Um, I actually just heard about with VR how you can you can go underwater um, and just like explore a whole underwater world, and I'm really looking forward to trying that out. Um, just because I think for the books, but I think they'll think that's also kind of an excuse, and I just want to try it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that is stuff I'm looking forward to, but um, I haven't really done a lot of it yet. And I, yeah, in, in terms of anything that involves me, like using hand-eye coordination to control things is probably something I've, I've maybe missed the boat on in early childhood. <laughs> I'll never, ever catch up. I, I understand that. I, I, I'm a big gamer, but that doesn't mean I'm a good gamer. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. So what do you have uh, coming up? What are your, um, you know, any any other events or things that you, you can promote while you're, you're here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, if anybody's in the L.A. area, because um, we're in San Diego today, but um, generally I'm in the L.A. area, um, there is my book launch party on um, May 22nd, and it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of mermaid kind of surprises. Um, you know, it'll be an author Q&A, so if you're interested in that kind of community we were talking about, um, that this is events like that, and whether you can make this one or another one, those are great. Um, that's May 22nd. Uh, it's at Vroman's Bookstore in Pasadena. And that's Southern California's uh, oldest and largest independent bookstore. It's fantastic. Again, a really great place to go to events if you're in L.A. And, of course, if you're in San Diego, come here to Mysterious Galaxy because uh, it's, like, the best ever down here. I, I love it bookstore. so much. Um, and so any author events like that that you can get yourself to, do. But come to my launch party on May 22nd because um, I'd love to see you and mention that you heard this because I'll be really happy. Um, and then LeviosaCon in Las Vegas um, mm -hmm. is super exciting. That's in July 7th to 10th, and I think they still have tickets. Um, I know they're kind of upping the prices as it gets closer to the event, so make your choices and, and come and see me. Um, that's Yeah, that's July. That's LeviosaCon. Um, and, yeah, and I'll be putting up some other events on my website, tobyeaston.com, super simple. Um, and you can just go to the events page, and I'll update. I have some, a couple other um, Barnes & Noble signings and things like that, so those will be up there. Very cool. Very yeah. And are you on Twitter, Facebook? Or I am. Um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, I would say Twitter and Instagram probably the most, but um, I'm, you know, I check Facebook too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just uh, come say hi anywhere. Twitter's great. I'm on there probably probably a lot. Um, but now now I'm on Instagram more and more because people are starting to post pics of the book oh, with cool. like seashells on them and pearls because there's a lot of pearls in the book and so people are picking out all sorts of these elements from the mer culture that's in the book and putting them with my cover and taking pictures and so now I'm kind of addicted to Instagram because I'm liking my <laughs> cover. I know that sounds really conceited. Well, you're gonna start getting your your fan fan art is gonna start I'm sure, which is I want gonna it be to. so cool. I know I've been um it's it's. It's hashtag Mermay on Twitter right now, um, and so I've been seeing all these amazing mermaid drawings, and yeah, I want... I, I felt one person created fan art already, um, actually like months before the book came out, I got the first fan art, which was crazy cool, um, especially because I'm such a fangirl of so many things um, for so long, so that was crazy, and it was like a picture collage, a picture she thought kind of represented based on the summary that she'd read of the book, and oh, how wow. excited she was. Yeah, so uh, so more things are starting to drift in, and it's, it's exciting. So what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of content creators, writers, and artists, and, and um, 
bloggers and everybody we're fans and yeah. and we consume as much material as we put out and so that's that's something that people realize they need to realize and we want to connect with you and we want you to send our stuff because we're going to geek out about it so yeah i just did my first high school visit this week um, to my old high school, which was really fun. And um, it was fun to see teachers, and I had a great time. But I was talking to the students, and a couple of them asked me, and they were very tentative about, oh, well, how do you feel about fan fiction? Because I think they expected the author answer of, like, you will not steal my characters. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I was like, no, 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 I love it. Like, I, that would make my life. Um, I, you know, I spent all of high school reading fan fiction. I feel like it had a huge impact on my writing. Um, and I think, and I was explaining to them, there's a whole new generation of authors now right. um, that, you know, grew, grew up reading fan fiction and so now I think we're a lot more open to it than, than maybe people were 10-20 years ago. Well I think you, you come to it from the, the point of view of it is not, it is an homage it is yeah. it's a tribute. It is I can't not. imagine anything that's more respectful or you know more something where somebody loves your character and your world so much that they would do that. To me that's that's phenomenal. So I, I love the idea of it. So I was I was excited because their faces lit up. They were so happy. That's very cool. Well, it was yeah. so nice to talk to you today, and uh, I we can't wait to read the book and and let more people know about it. And uh, and good luck with your your spotlight today. It's Thank be a you lot of so fun. much. I, I had so much fun. This is great. I'm here with author Jennifer Brody. Uh, Jennifer, tell our audience uh, about yourself and about your books. Sure thing. Well, um, my first book just came out a couple weeks ago, which I'm very excited about. It's um, young adult science fiction. It's called The 13th Continuum. And um, I've been writing for a while, but, you know, it's been a process to get published. But I'm really excited. The book's getting a really good response. Um, hearing from readers. We're already working on packaging it into a film. So that's oh, all very exciting. that's awesome. Yeah, I have producers on board. And it's a very big world and a big universe, which I think is why it's catching interest. It's a very cool and exciting time to be in uh, young adult fiction because it's it's very popular right now. So it's very very cool. Yeah. Um, can you give us a, kind of a brief brief idea of what your book is about? Yeah, of course. So the book um, takes place after there's a cataclysmic event that wipes out the surface of the earth, and um, but before that happens, humans are evacuated into different colonies. So some of them are deep underwater in the ocean trenches. Some are in outer space, including a Mars colony, and some are underground. And so people are supposed to go into exile for a thousand years wait for the surface to decontaminate, and then return to restart life on Earth. And so the book picks up more or less a thousand years later. And the question is, who has survived, how have they survived, and who will return? So that's cool. So it's kind of the, the discovery of the different colonies. and Yeah, and how they all evolve differently in isolation. The first book deals um, primarily with the 13th Continuum, which is an underwater colony that's fallen into a dark age, and then also an outer space colony that's kind of a military society. That's very cool. Yeah, so we kind of go back and forth, multiple point of view. Now, since this is uh, your your first book, um, how has that experience been? Is it uh, anything that has surprised you or shocked you or anything that you um, didn't expect? I guess I realized I bit off a lot by selling a series because it's three books. The second comes out in November, the third next year. So it is a big process because you're working on promoting the first book, editorial on the second book, and finishing the third book all at the same time so it's a big effort but it's also kind of a high class problem because you know Mm -hmm. it's exciting like your books are coming out people are reading them they're getting excited about them so you know it's actually kind of like a dream come true very cool do you have any advice for for new authors that are, are trying to do what you're doing yeah, I mean, I have a lot of advice. I mean, I think, obviously, read a lot. Um, write things that you like to read. I think it's a real mistake to try to write something that you don't love mm-hmm. yourself. 
Um, I also started and run an author's group called Book Pod, where I have, I think, over 400 writers in there. And I started it because when I was starting in this process, there's just so much I didn't know and I wanted to learn. And I thought having a community would help. And it does. Like taking writing classes, workshopping. I teach sci-fi and fantasy writing classes, which is really fun for me. But doing things like that where you can come in and workshop, meet other writers, build a community. I'm, I'm, I'm finding from the people that we've been talking to today that um, – the community is there. There seems to be a very big writing community out there, and that it's a very supportive, positive one, which is a, a very nice thing to hear. Yeah, ideally, I mean, I think that there are probably some bitter, kind of not happy souls, um, you know, and avoid them. But like, you know, there are, especially I find in the genre community, speculative fiction, people that love sci-fi and fantasy um, tend to be really kind of just supportive kind of wonderful. It's a real nice space to be in. That's very cool. Um, now, the Geekitude podcast is a geek culture podcast. It awesome. comes from the words geek and aptitude because everybody has a different level, you know, things that they've got high geekitude in and low geekitude in. <laughs> Where do you feel your geekitude would be high? I would say it's pretty high in, uh, well, Lord of the Rings, which I'm kind of obsessed with, and I did actually work on the films. Oh, that's very cool. My boss was the producer, yes. So that was like a huge moment for me because I was a really big fan growing up of those books. Mm -hmm. um, big Star Wars fan. Bigger Star Trek fan. Very especially nice. Next Generation Star Trek. Um, yeah. Now are you looking forward to the new series that's supposed to be coming out? Just talking to my husband about it last night. We've been watching some Voyager and I'm a little nervous. I hope it's further in the future because I know with Enterprise we sort of went back. I'd like to go and further in the future and have that really beautiful headspace of like, you know, it's like this positive future, which I think got messed up a little in the films mm -hmm. where they kind of lost what Star Trek's really about. Um, and I hope it kind of maintains the look of, you know, Voyager and Next Generation. Like, I don't want it to look all different and fancy. Right. Like, I want it to have that kind of real feel to it. That's very cool. Yeah. But yeah, I am, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think a lot of us are. Yeah, <laughs> I, think yeah, a lot like, of I hope us... it's great. Like, they bring great writers. They do great ideas. It's so high concept. I feel like everything that I come up with that I want to write, I'm like, my husband's always like, well, that was a Star Trek episode. Uh -huh. I'm like, well, everything was a Star Trek episode, <laughs> it's right? It's true. It's so true. Like everything. And it's funny because I think I think we saturated Star Trek at that point when Next Generation and Voy everything was coming out. There was like three series at one point. Yeah, and, they were, and there's so many episodes in a season. Like, I mean, I'm used to cable now where you're talking 12, 13 episodes. Like, the Next Gen seasons are really yeah, long. Like 22 or something like mm -hmm. that. And so I think we've been away from that long enough that it does feel like it's kind of time where... We won't be like, no, no more Star Trek. <laughs> no, I think we're ready. And like I said, I feel like the films kind of went, I mean, J.J. Abrams, he J.J. Abrams did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He made Star Trek more like Star Wars, and now he's doing Star Wars, you know. And I think that, you know, it'll be nice to get back to what Star Trek, the heart of it, yeah. and the core. And that also is television. Star Trek, I know there's been movies, but the shows were It really is about the TV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there an area you feel your geekitude is maybe low? You kind of exit the conversation when people start talking about it. I'm pretty cool with everything. Um, I finally started watching Game of Thrones show again after boycotting it for a while because I was upset that it was deviating from the book. Mm -hmm. But it's so good, but it, it's so annoying. But mm -hmm. so I gave in on that. Um, you know, the one author that I just have never been able to get into that people love is Neil Stevenson. Okay. And people love him, and I know he has a huge fan base, and it's not like anything against him at all. I've just never been able to get into his books, and I have tried. I've mm -hmm. read multiple so maybe that. Yeah, that's always. Uh, I'm I'm kind of that with Doctor Who. Everybody's yeah, like, you I mean, need Doctor to be Who. into Doctor Who. No, you're Who. right, Doctor Who, and I've tried. And I just, it's, it I'm, hasn't hit for I'm me. starting to. I I've got a group of friends that have kind of. 
pushed me towards how how to get through it the first season to get into it. Maybe it's just the right starting place. Maybe I need to find the right doctor. Like maybe I start with David Tennant or something. But yeah, same for me. I finally did get into Outlander, and that took me a while mm-hmm. to really. I picked up the book and put it down maybe four times before I finally got into it. Now I get Outlander. Well, and with so much stuff out there right now, there's so much stuff for geeks to consume. Oh my gosh, that it's overwhelming. Like, yeah, it's like we I, became the popular ones. I don't know when that did. happened. No, high school was not the case. No, it was not at all. <laughs> and uh, and so now, and I think a lot of us are using our our, our newfound powers for good. Yeah. And there are some out there that are using them for evil. So hopefully, That's true. hopefully we can uh, win that that little culture war. But um, but yeah, so uh, so I completely understand that. You know, trying to it's. I think we're very quick to drop the things that we're not as interested in just because there's so much other stuff we can be. I know, and it's overwhelming. I mean, the amount of good television out there mm-hmm. is like, I can't keep up. And, you know, I used to be that person that would watch everything. Yeah. The one thing that was disappointing, the new X-Files is very highly disappointing. I had heard I that. I didn't know if you watched it. I was a huge X-Files fan back in the day. and It was just anticlimactic. Not well, the writing. Mm. That was sad. Um, before, I know you have to get to a spotlight soon, so... Um, Give us kind of your, you know, where where can we find you? What events do you have coming up? What what should we be looking for? Yeah, for sure. So 13th Continuum is out now, available where all books are sold. Return of the Continuum's book two comes out in November. I am flying to Chicago next week, and I'm doing a signing for SFWA, Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, and for my publisher, Turner. Um, and we'll be giving away a lot of books. And then I'll be at um, some Barnes & Nobles for their Teen Book Fest coming up. I'll be at the Teen Book Fest in Palmdale. These are both in June. And I'll be on the East Coast then. Holland's University, uh, probably a Barnes & Noble out in Virginia. So starting to book up a lot of events and looking at adding some cons to the schedule. So maybe Long Beach. That's a good one. Looking at that one. one. Yeah, very my cool. publisher wants to send me there. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be all over. But, yeah, and I'm online. At Jennifer Brody on Twitter. Right. Well, thank you so much for, for taking time to talk to us and have an amazing author spotlight. Awesome. Thanks for talking to me, Joe. I'm here right now with Gregory Harris, uh, who is one of our wonderful authors that's going to be speaking today. Nice. And how are you Nicely doing? Nicely done. I'm excellent. I'm excellent today, Joe, I must say. It's been an exciting day here with the uh, birthday party for Mysterious Galaxy. It's been a lot of fun. Very cool. Yeah, a lot of fun. I'm going to – you're a little bit taller than I am. I just so noticed. I'm going to uh, – <laughs> Most people are, so <laughs> there we go. It's a little bit better. Um, so <clears throat> tell us uh, – for those of uh, our listeners and our viewers who are not aware of your work, uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about you and what you've done. Okay. Um, I am currently working in the mortgage industry. How's that for excitement? (laughs) But I was previously in the entertainment business for 20 years. Mm -hmm. I worked on a lot of TV shows, going back to, it's going to date me, a show called Moonlighting with Bruce Willis and Mm Sybil Shepard many moons ago. Worked on a bunch of films, worked for CBS on their on-air entertainment, and then kind of decided I really wanted to concentrate on my writing, and I didn't have time to uh, do that working at CBS, which is shocking because uh, we worked like 16 hours a day on that stuff that's on the air. So when you don't like it, people are really hurt. Um, (laughs) Just the same. So I ended up um, changing for a lot of reasons, um, industries, and really concentrating on my writing and um, decided that I wanted to write this series of mystery books. I had an idea for a sleuth and his partner, and I've always been interested in turn-of-the-century London, England. 1895. I think it's a really interesting period of time because it's just at the point where 
there's so much change going on. It's mm-hmm. right before forensic science has taken place. So we don't have um, we don't have DNA. Fingerprints are brand new. Um, blood splatters. They're just really starting to learn things, which I thought was really interesting. Not to mention, of course, cars are just being invented. Airplanes are right before those haven't flown yet, but they're on the cusp of doing so. Um, electricity, Buckingham Palace gets uh, electricity about five years before the books start, something like that. And um, I just decided that was a really interesting period of time that I wanted to really write about. And I think London is a very textural kind of place. Definitely. Um, certainly if I uh, said it in Los Angeles where I currently live, um, 100 years ago we'd be talking about you know, little wood chips and um, birds, and because there was no there Los was Angeles. no Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> because if it's over 80, 80 years old, they tear it down. Yes. Um, so this is what my um, series about. My fourth book has just been released, um, but they uh, they do stand on their own. Each one of the books stands on their own, and it's really about these two these two gentlemen and the crimes that are brought to them that they then solve, um, which I really really have. Great kick out of writing. I really enjoy it. Now, uh, what kind of process do you use when you sit down and write? Do you um, are what? you somebody who marathons? Do you do it in a small? You know, it's a marathon process. No matter what, I think I I, I don't know how you could sit there and like hammer out uh, a book. I, I'm really uh, amazed when I read about writers who can churn out a book in 30 days. I know they can do it, and I know they can do it successfully. But for me, it takes a lot of a lot more time than that. I do have a day job, bless its heart, but I do write in the evenings. I write I write six days a week. I give myself Friday night off because nice. you got to drink one night. No, I'm yes. kidding. I don't, really, <laughs> don't, really, don't really do that. Um, but I do write six nights a week, um, and I, for me, it takes about a year to put out a draft um, that I'm really pleased with. So it is it is definitely a process, but I enjoy that process because. Inevitably, I know where I'm starting, obviously. I know what my mystery is going to be. But I don't always know, uh, most often, I don't know who did it or, or why. It's the why that really intrigues me. So while I may have some ideas about where I want to go and how I want to get there, it's the journey that I myself, as a writer, really enjoy. And I hope that as a result, my reader will also enjoy that journey and take that journey along with me. I, I think that's so interesting because you're you're actually the the second mystery writer who has said that they don't necessarily know where they're going to end up, and I think we all think you have to know the entire story before you sit down and write, and I think that's just fascinating. Yes, you know, I know some people do. I, I know some people are very good plotters and very organized and have the whole thing laid out. Um, that doesn't work for me. It allows me to be more spontaneous, I mm-hmm. think. But I think as a result, um, to your point, I may end up somewhere that I didn't expect to be. And then I have to kind of go back and I have to kind of massage the earlier part of the book to make sure that it leaves the correct breadcrumbs and trail and leads up to the end that we finally get to so that the reader never puts a book down and says, well, that's ridiculous. Or I don't know how they came up with that solution. So it does perhaps really require me to do a little bit more thinking and work on the story than I might do than if I could sit down and actually plot out an outline. But I, I, like I said, I really enjoy it, and sometimes I'll really fall into something unexpected that catches me off guard. And if I'm catching myself off guard, I know I'm going to catch my reader off guard, and I live to be able to do that. That's got to be. A, I really enjoy that. Yeah, it's got to be an amazing uh, yeah. moment. It is. You, you got to be excited about that. It That's is. Cool. It really is. It really is. Um, so, 
do you have any advice for for people who are just starting out or are looking to get their first book published? Of course, always full of advice <laughs> because we all have to start somewhere, right? I I'll say two things right off the bat. Write. There's a lot of writers out there who want to write who don't write. Mm-hmm. So you have to write. You should never not write. And I think what you have to do, what I had to do was I had to commit to doing it regularly. So I had to make that commitment to do it, like I say, six days a week. Mm-hmm. Before I had a publisher, before I had an agent, I was writing six days a week. You have to do that. Even if you sit down in front of your computer and you're just looking at that little blinking cursor on a white page and saying, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. You have to hit that point. You just have to keep writing. And the other thing I would really recommend is read. You should always be reading. A writer who doesn't read, I'm suspicious of. Mm-hmm. Um, because you really have to be reading because there's not only there are ideas out there, but there are there's great vernacular. There's great thought. Mm-hmm. There's just great stuff out there. And the good, the bad, the interesting, the disinteresting, you learn from all of it. So those are my two most important things that I would say is, you know, write and read. And when you've written something that you're really interested in, something that you really feel like this is it, I can go the distance with this piece of work, then uh, do so and get some opinions from people you trust. Um, I have some friends, a couple of whom worked in the entertainment industry, one still does, Um, one who doesn't, but she's an absolutely avid reader, and I really trust their opinions. So at a certain point when I got a first draft done, I gave them copies of my very first book, and I said, what do you think? What's good? What's bad? Please be honest. And you get a lot of, I got a lot of really helpful criticism. This works. This doesn't work. Why did you do that? Why would you say this? That doesn't track. And that's the kind of thing that really makes you hopefully be more a more thoughtful writer to make sure you're telling a really tight-knit story. Yeah. Because if you're going to ask a reader to spend the time and energy and effort to take the journey with you, it needs to be a good solid journey. Yeah. So those are those are all of my 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 best pieces of advice after that. Then honestly for me, it was putting together a query letter and I went out and I just queried every agent that I knew in um New York wherever, I shouldn't say New York, wherever they were located, I don't think it much matters anymore. Mm-hmm. But every agent I knew who was looking for mystery writers which is what I was writing at the time and what I was interested in doing. And I just started querying them and getting myself out there. And you really just kind of have to get yourself out there. But you've got to write. Just write. <laughs> I'm going to play this back. But I'm, a, I'm an English teacher. So oh, I – yeah, so that's my day job. And, uh, and nice. so I'm going to have to play this back for my students because it's you have to be reading. You have to be writing. Yeah. And when I'm telling you how to improve on, on your writing – <laughs> Listen. Don't defend yet. That's right. Let me get through it. That's right. <laughs> let me let me tell you what's going on. That's right. And then we can talk about it if you have clarification or if you think I'm wrong. That's fine. But let me get through it. <laughs> so That's I think right. that feedback, that constructive criticism is very important to be open to that. I think it's essential. It's essential. And and inevitably I give I give my first drafts to three people before I now give it to my agent and certainly before I give it to my publisher. And I get their feedback. And I'm not gonna say that I always take their feedback because sometimes they'll say whatever, I didn't understand this piece, or I could use more over here. And sometimes I'll think about that, and I'll think, no, I think I think it's where I want it to be. Let me have my publisher then tell me, no, you need to change that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's always, always helpful to get the kind of criticism and feedback to make you stop and think, did I accomplish what I think I accomplished? Because writing is something you do 
it's such a lonely little thing. Mm-hmm. You do that by yourself at a desk with no feedback. I ask my cats, they give me nothing. <laughs> um, so it's really, really helpful. And I know sometimes those look good. Um, I know sometimes that people go out and, and they, they're afraid to like share it and they're afraid to get criticism. Mm-hmm. But you just you just have to not. You just have to you have to put your ego aside. You have to put your what I meant and my best intentions all have to go onto the table because you need that criticism. You need that fresh eye, that fresh perspective, who says, "Here's how I'm seeing it." Right. And that's why I give it to three people because then if I'm hearing it three times, I know darn well that that's not working. Right. I know that that's something I have to fix. If I hear it once and the other two don't say that. Maybe I'll still take that piece of criticism, that point, that note, but also maybe I'll think maybe that's not such a big issue. It, right. it really sort of depends. Wow, that's was that ever good. a long answer? Sorry. No, but that's good. That's good. I mean, this is what the, this is information that people are going to use and 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 benefit from. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. All right. So the the Geekitude podcast is a geek culture podcast, and it's made up of the words geek and aptitude because everybody has. Different... Oh, I thought it was attitude. No, no, we know no attitude here. No attitude here. Um, everybody has their own um areas that they feel like they're very strong in their geekitude and some where they're not so much. So are there any areas where you feel like your geekitude is strong? My geekitude. I you know, I actually the first novel that I wrote was actually uh, a novel that would fit more in line with the geekitude platform, I believe, because it was about a, a young apprentice to a sorcerer in um the 1400s. And I really kind of love the the whole notion of magic mm-hmm. and the magic that's around us every single day truly now. But I also love the magic of if I believe it, I can make it real. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what that novel was really about was this, this boy when the sorcerer something happens and off he goes. And this this boy, this young apprentice is on his own. And his world, as he knows it, is collapsing. And everybody's looking to him because he's the apprentice. And I really sort of think that that's where my geekitude might be most uh, prevalent in that feeling of, of the magic that's around us and, and the, the concept of how that affects us in our lives every single day. I mean, there's no magic, per se, in the, the books I'm writing, the series, the Colin Pendragon series. Mm-hmm. There's no magic to that. But there's there's the magic of you know humanity and the people and um, and the sense of intuition that you bring to trying to solve a crime before there are things like DNA. There's there there's those there's nothing concrete. Right. So at a certain point, you have to believe in yourself, and that sort of belief in yourself, that commitment to yourself, that confidence in yourself, to me is a little bit of magic mm-hmm. because it's so hard to get that, I think. That's awesome. Now are there areas where you're like, nope, not for me in, in the geek realm? I, I'm going to say the technology aspect mm-hmm. of it. If it, I can, I enjoy reading some of that, but if, if it gets off into too much technology and this thing and that warp and this drive and this thing and that other thing, mm-hmm. then I start to phase. Then I start to like skim, 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 next because I'm really drawn to the people aspect of it, the emotional aspect of it. Yeah, the, and so the machines the don't do so the, much for you. Exactly, exactly. Right. Although certainly when Robert Heinlein writes some of the stuff about the machinery um, and its its similarity to 
humanity mm-hmm. as the machinery begins begins to grow in a future world in a future state that's fascinating yeah that's fascinating as we look at how far are we before terminator really becomes real oh it's true well it's i we just uh finished my students just finished the book uh brave new world by aldous Huxley. oh yes and and so we've we've been spending the entire time reading that going all right how you know he wrote this in 1931 how how accurate were his predictions how much of this is actually happening and, right and how how close is our trajectory to becoming this world of of you know clones and not having to think for yourself and right and everything else and so yeah i think it is very interesting to see how technology shapes society yeah it's yeah. true it's it's really true and i think it's sort of it's interesting to look at something like that because i personally am old enough to have read Aldous Huxley in, in high school mm-hmm. and all of the stuff that he was talking about was so far out there and so unreal you went ooh that's provocative mm-hmm. and now you know lo these many years later you start to look at it and go some of this exists yeah some of this we passed and some of this still seems like it's a little far away but it's it's fascinating yeah because we're getting closer to it you know we really truly are I mean when the first Terminator came out I, I don't mean to compare Huxley to right. the Terminator film, <laughs> no, but absolutely. I just did, and I'm doing it. Um, you know, the, the whole like, conceit of machines, you know, had grown up and taken over, and they were thinking, and they were thoughtful, and they, they were able to, you know, take over the world, as it were. You kind of thought, whatever, okay, fine, it's a good vehicle for Arnold. But now they're really developing yeah. machinery with artificial intelligence. We're a long way from that sort of thing, but they are starting to create thinking computers and how far before that computer that thinks begins to have emotion mm-hmm. and then what happens then what happens and a whole new set of rules I comes know. into play a whole new set of rules thank god i'll be dead yeah well, so. i mean in the in the last 10 years that i've taught this novel the um the perspective that i've approached it has changed because you know 10 years ago it was like wow this stuff is kind of crazy and out there yeah and and even this the students are like, oh yeah, no, this happens every day. This, yeah. this aspect of it, or this aspect, or I can see where this is that. So it's fascinating. It is. It, it really, really is. is. We live in a very crazy time. We yeah, really it's a do. really interesting time. And I, I was saying earlier today that you know I, I like to write about 1895 you know, London right now and these historical novels because it's such an interesting time of change in in the world, literally. And the truth is, a hundred years from now, someone's going to be writing about us right. right now because we're exactly the same place. And um, the change in the technology and things. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that shift in, uh, shift in perspective going back to a time without all – do you find yourself going, oh, I can't do this because that just didn't exist back then? You know, a little bit. I mean a little bit I, I, I constrain myself. Uh, I do feel a little bit constrained here and there, but I did a lot of research before I actually began. So what's kind of fun is in the first few books – I don't even mention electric lighting at all whatsoever. It's it's gas. It's you know it, it's it's oil in one of the places that they actually show up in. And now in the fourth book, we've got um, Buckingham Palace mm-hmm. has now been electrified, and buildings are starting to become electrified, and people are aware of electricity. And isn't this a unique and and strange thing? And will everybody ever get this, or is this just something mm-hmm. that public buildings and rich people are going to have? Mm-hmm. And I'm really charged by that change because, truthfully, I'm living in a time of that very change. Yeah. You know, when, when cell phones first came out, and, you know, my parents were like, eh, I'm not getting that. <laughs> and, and you realize, 
you know, now how quickly do we become addicted to them? And you cannot live without that. No, absolutely. And you cannot imagine what life was like before we had that. So it's interesting to me because while it was a very different time and I am constrained about making sure I'm not talking about things that hadn't happened yet, it's so similar to now in, in the same respects of how quickly things are changing. And that's fascinating to yeah. me. I really, really like that because now I'm at the other side of it and I know where they're going to. They don't know. I know. So that's fun. It's yeah. fun to write like that that's and have that cool. knowledge. Yeah. That's yeah. very neat. I want to make sure we're, we're doing okay on time. Um, what uh, what other projects do you have coming up? Any places that we can find you? Uh, social media, websites. I have a Facebook page. It's um, it's it's Gregory. <laughs> I have to think. So I have a very common name, Gregory Harris. Mm-hmm. So it's Gregory Harris author, and I also have GregoryHarrisAuthor.com. Okay. So I have both of those, and I post every Sunday. You know, I post something about. The book that's currently out, I post information about the characters, I post, you know, I don't, I don't talk about political things or anything that's happening today. It's really about promoting the books, the characters, and, and, and what I'm doing in that respect. Uh, I have just finished the fifth book. The fourth one, the fourth one just came out. On the fifth one, I will be turning into my publisher the end of May, so I imagine it will have a 2017 release date. Very nice. I would like to tell you that I'm actually working on another story. Um, So I have started something, but I've put it aside because I have so much to do on this one to get get it finished. It's like there's just not enough hours in the day. So if you could do something about that, Joe, I'd really appreciate (laughs) that. I will work on it. I will will start sending out feelers on how that works. (laughs) We're talking about how quickly things are changing. I could Uh, use a few more hours. That would be helpful. And yet I need my eight hours of sleep. Let's not not discuss that. No, no. Um, But yes, so that's, that's what I'm kind of doing now. But you can always look on the website. You can always look on the Facebook page. The Facebook page has the most current information at all times. And I try to update the web page as, as often as I can, which is probably about once every six to eight weeks. Not that much news coming on about it. But I'll certainly be talking about this podcast. Well, thank you. Thank yes, you. Any, thank other, you. any other appearances in the next couple months? I will be at the Barnes & Noble uh, in Calabasas okay. on Sunday, May 22nd at 2 to 4 p.m. Okay. So that is the next thing I have coming up. And um, we'll see what the summertime brings. Got a couple irons in the fire. Um, heating them up, so uh, as soon as they turn bright orange, I'll let you know. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking Joe, with us today. Joe, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. I really enjoy it. Uh, I'm here with Todd Lockwood, and uh, Todd, tell us about what you're doing here and what you're promoting. I'm here, first ever signing of my new book, The Summer Dragon, first book of the Evertide. Um, it's my first novel. I've uh, I've always written all my life, but I think people know me as an illustrator. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I really learned to draw by telling myself stories in comic book form. Um, in my mind, I was drawing movies or TV shows, and uh, at some point, art started paying the bills, so it got precedent. Mm-hmm. Uh, about ten years ago, I thought I would put together a, a book of art, but with a through line to tie it together and tell a story. And when I started working on the story, that old muse was reawakened, and uh, I realized I had more to say than pictures alone could tell. So I started workshopping and reading all the books on plot and story and honing my instincts and exorcising bad habits as, mm-hmm. 
as much as I could. And uh, little by little, put together a trilogy. This is the first book. Um, I've got the second one outlined. I'm ready to start writing it as soon as I get some bills paid. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the basis of this book, the idea behind it? It's uh, about a young woman named Maya, who is the youngest in a family who breeds dragons for the military, for the Empire's war machine. And uh, the summer dragon title creature is, uh, well, let me backtrack a little bit. The dragons they breed are animals. Mm -hmm. They're not classic um, fantasy dragons, um, although they are still big, flying, scaly predators. Uh, but there's another type of dragon, the high dragons, which are more mysterious and mystical. And the summer dragon is one of these. And uh, when she and her brother see the summer dragon, it makes this brief, briefest of visits in their, their valley. Uh, it sets in motion events that cause various factions to fight over what this means and how to tell the story so that the empire is served or the temple is served or the military is served. And all these stories leave Maya out and she has to take matters into her own hands to uh, preserve everything that she loves. That's very cool. That's very so cool. it's equal parts action, politics, religion, action, adventure, action and uh, there's dragons throughout so so it's all in there it's all it's in all there. in there that's very cool um what kind of uh writing process did you experience with this was it um you know did you just sit down and kind of marathon it did it come in waves it well it, it yes <laughs> um i mean i started out just kind of pantsing it as the ideas were coming in mm -hmm. And uh, then when I realized it wasn't just going to be a few paragraphs of captions for a bunch of pictures, but actually entirely the other way around, then I started writing in earnest. And then, then I realized, you know, I need to uh, get my game up. So mm -hmm. there, the first few years, and it's been nearly a decade since I started this, but the first few years was a lot of uh, unlearning and then learning so that I was doing it right for Hopefully well. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently well. I'm getting really good reviews, which That's makes awesome. me very happy. Um, and, and then when I knew the overall arc of the of the story, then I broke it up into pieces and then gave each piece an arc so that every section of it would be a, a whole story, but leading into the next uh, with cliffhangers. I mean, it's it's a complete story in the end, uh, of which this is just the first act. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, would you talk to us a little bit about your um, your artistic background? Because um, because as you said, that's where you kind of started. And um, can you can you tell our our viewers and our listeners a little bit about where you've worked and and what you've done? Because I think some of it's very interesting to our particular uh, <laughs> audience. Well, I, I I grew up on stuff like the original Star Trek and Ray Harryhausen movies and uh, Walt Disney's more spectacular things. Uh, one of my earliest memories is of Maleficent turning into the dragon mm -hmm. as seen through the windshield of the family station wagon at a drive-in. Drive and that sticks because it was like she was right outside the car. Mm -hmm. I and mean, that's what it looks like. There's a dragon in front of the car. That is so cool. Um 
I just always loved special effects and monster movies and that sort of thing. So that's that's why when I was drawing comic books, I was telling myself those sorts of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up, I went to art school, ended up in advertising, and I did that for 14 years. Um, came to loathe it mm-hmm. um, because, uh, in, in part, you know, Every product was uninteresting or something that I found personally reprehensible, like Camel cigarettes. Or, mm-hmm. um, and around 1992 or three, I felt like I have to get a better class of work or I'm going to hang up my brushes and get a real estate license. Mm-hmm. I just can't do this anymore. Every Friday afternoon, the phone would ring and I, we need something Monday morning. I never had a weekend. I could never make plans. Yeah. And uh, then Terry Chechko, who was the art director at the time at Asimov and Analog Magazines, uh, asked me if I could sub in for Chris Moore. He'd gotten an eye infection and he couldn't do a cover. So uh, I said, yeah, sure. And did this cover and she loved it and she gave me another. She loved that, so she gave me another. And I asked her, how can I get more work like this? She said, hang your stuff at a science fiction fantasy convention. I said, what's that? <laughs> I had no idea. But I went to the Worldcon in Winnipeg in 94, and uh, my my tra- trajectory was changed. It's like I, I have found my people. Mm-hmm. Um, met my idol, Michael Whalen there, and a bunch of other people. And uh, within two years, I'd been hired by TSR mm-hmm. for a staff position. Which seems completely whirlwind in retrospect, but uh, you know, at the time, I was just sort of nose down, moving forward, full speed, pursuing every opportunity. It, it was a unique experience for me at the time to actually take charge of my own inertia and not depend on other people, because other people have their own agendas, especially right. especially agents in New York who. Just want to find a niche for it and stick in it and take their rake off. Um, with the exception of a few. I mean, there's some good ones. I'll always be grateful to Francine at Bernstein Andrewley who connected me up with Terry Chechko. So, you know, there's, there's good eggs in every rotten batch or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, the TSR was then bought by Wizards of the Coast. They moved us to the West Coast and, uh, that's that was turned out to be a really really good springboard, and I'm really grateful. You know, it, if if nothing else, I look back on those 14 years of advertising as I'm not sure how to say it. It's it's how I know I'm in a great place. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen the yang, so now it's the yin or something. Which is it's got to be cool to be able to be in that place now and to finally be in the yin, and uh, it makes me appreciate it all the more. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, now, the Geek to Dude podcast is a podcast about geek culture, and it's a combination of the word geek and aptitude, because the idea is everybody <laughs> has their own level of geek, and they're good at some stuff, and they're not as familiar with some stuff. Where, where do you feel like your geekitude is high? Where, where do you really geek out? My geekitude? Oh, my goodness. Um, it's been hard for me to keep up since I've been working in the industry. Uh, you know, I... I got the job at TSR in large part because I played D&D for 20 years prior mm-hmm. to getting that job. So I'd, I'd say my D&D geek 
aptitude is pretty high. But then I didn't play the modules. I had my own world. I, you know, mm -hmm. it's the way I wanted to do it. I didn't want to. Well, I just I had a, a longer story arc in mind for my players. <laughs> so, did, so did you uh, DM then? Oh yes. Oh, that's oh, yes. nice. Yes, and that. That's how my story muse entertained herself through all those advertising years. Mm -hmm. you know, and I drew visual aids for my players and you know, some of the art that uh, helped get me into this industry, like a drawing I did of Cerberus in 94, um, was for my players. And uh, I discovered some techniques and started having some fun and got really into it and produced some work that people still react to. So. Yeah, players who have artists and writers as as DMs don't don't realize how lucky they are. <laughs> That's very cool. Um, and is there any areas that you feel that your geekitude is low, where you're you're not catching up I or have, keeping up with? I them? have not read enough authors, mm -hmm. um, and even the the authors who I do covers for, uh, more than half the time when I'm doing the cover, the book hasn't been written yet because the art is needed so far in advance of, of publication. Right. Uh, Bob Salvatore in particular, um, when I was doing the covers for his new works, all there was was an outline, and he'll change up his outline at, at need as he sees fit going forward. Mm -hmm. So I've done paintings for his covers that fans have said to me later, that doesn't happen in the book. <laughs> well, it was going to at one time. <laughs> I don't think everybody understands the process that you have to go through for these things. Well, very cool. I know we have to get you to your, your artist uh, spotlight soon. So um, where can we find you? What kind of events do you have coming up? I will be at the University Bookstore on Monday, the 9th, in Seattle. Um, I expect to do Borderlands in San Francisco in uh, July. And... Going, I may be somewhere in New York in June, um, somewhere between the 21st and 24th. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'll be in that area. I haven't, haven't found or uh, signed on to a venue yet. Um, you can always find me on the Internet at ToddLockwood.com, and you can look for me at, on Facebook. Um, if you go to any of those locations, you'll find places to... Buy my book if you can't get it here. Um, yeah. That's so. awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time. I know you're busy for... for well, I will be in uh, San Antonio at the end of October. I can't think what that Comic-Con is called. Lone Star? No. There's so many at I'll this point. <laughs> well, we'll send people to your website so you can get <laughs> information. Thank you so much for taking time. I know you're really busy. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, we'll get your stuff out there and, and let people know about your book because it sounds fascinating. It, it was fun. So that concludes the first half of our Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore birthday event coverage. Uh, I really enjoyed interviewing this set of authors, and I'm looking forward to introducing you to the next set next week. Before we close out, I just want to let everybody know that we are going to be at Phoenix Comic Con on June 3rd through the 5th. Uh, the event does start on Thursday, but we're not going to get there until Friday. But we will be there, and we hope that we can run into some of you. If you are going to be in the same area, please let us know. If you're at Phoenix Comic Con Friday night, 
I'm actually going to be a special guest at Jeannie Koch's Evening Erotica. Uh, I, I'm a, a little curious as to exactly what it is going to turn out to be, but according to Jeannie, it is a few minutes of people talking about writing and what erotica is, and then they play the euphemism game for the uh, rest of the event. So we will be there. We will be covering it. I'm going to be a special guest, so I will be up on stage with her. Um, so if that's something that interests you, go ahead and stop by. We are going to be there, I believe, from 7.30 until 10 on Friday, June 3rd. So it should be a very fun event, and looking forward to seeing you there. All the music in this episode is by Ben Sound and is being used under a Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. You can f- currently find me at geektitude.com, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher, as well as Google Play. Please leave us a review and spread the word. If you'd like to contact me, you can send me an email to joehogan at geektitude.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at geektitude, or me personally at Epic Grays. Look forward to talking to you again next week as we bring you the second half of the Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore event. And until then, remember, keep it geek.